My name is James Callis. I play Dr. Gaius Baltar on Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to Galactica Quorum. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. Are there any redeemable females on Galactica now? They've basically eliminated any attachment to a human female that we would have as far as, like, continuing the race. Could Sam sleep in the crew quarters now, knowing that everything's going on? I mean, I need an episode devoted to Hera, Tori, and Sam. I'm now putting this in context of the webisodes, because in the webisodes, they're talking about the silent technology running their ships. I don't think that has occurred yet. I have been pro Gata. Semper Fracken Fi. Kill Gata, kill Gata. <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a Fracken podcast. It's a Fracken podcast about Battlestar Galactica. This is episode 64. I'm Brian. Michelle. Jason. We have a website that's galacticaquorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G Q U O R U M. And we have a voicemail, 301-358-5175. Leave your questions or comments on that line, and we'll try to get to them on the podcast. Mentioned our website. We have forums there. Come by and join the discussions about the current episodes or other sci-fi shows. You can find us on Facebook, and we have a Twitter account where you can follow what we're doing as we prepare and release the podcast. For this episode, we'll be talking about the Battlestar episode, The Oath, up front, we have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for this episode, so there are no spoilers involved, and I don't watch the previews, so we might mention some things that, if you have seen the previews, you might wonder why we said that. If you have seen the previews, you're pissed at the previews. Oh, did you? I saw them. I accidentally saw something, and I'm like, oh, okay, so basically you're telling us that the cliffhanger is not a cliffhanger. That's why I Thanks. don't watch the previews. No, but I think I... It would be stupid on their part to actually put that... No, wait a minute. They've done stupid things in the previous before. Never mind. They left these two great cliffhangers, and then I'm watching something else, and they ran a commercial for next week, and I'm like... I hate when they do oh, that, too. Oh, crap. Now you just told me that... Were you watching Pterodactyl? I forget what I was watching. I think I was just flipping through. <laughs> I think that was... Pterodactyl. It was on this weekend. <laughs> uh, Dragon Con people... The Sheraton, from what I understand, is the only hotel that has availability still. So if you want to go to Dragon Con, you better book now. Dragon Con is so much fun. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. I <laughs> <laughs> just want to bring up the prop auction one more time. The first one obviously ended a couple weeks ago. There'll be another one in May. It's coming up. But they're also doing eBay auctions. If you look up eBay seller PropWorks, that's with a X at the end instead of a KS, PropWorks. If you look up that seller on eBay, there are several auctions that go on during the week. Usually following an episode, there is an auction that has items that were in that episode, small items that are a lot more affordable than things you might see at the auction that was in Pasadena. So be sure to check those out. But if you have the money to buy the Raptor, contact Alec Peters. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of emails and posts on our website that I would like to get to. And again, thank you to everyone for sending all these thoughts and ideas in. It really makes our show when we have so much involvement from all the Battlestar fans out there. It's really great now that the season's kicking along that we have all this great material to talk about. This one comes from Kevin. He's talking about Cylon Earth. 
He writes, while everyone is in Baltar's old science lab where the identity of the planet's inhabitants is revealed as Cylon, Saul says, quote, the 13th tribe, a tribe of Cylons, came to this planet and called it Earth. Emphasis, his own. No one in the scene acknowledges it, and I'm not even sure Saul even realizes what he has said. Since he was one of the five people on the planet alive that would know any of the history of the civilization down there, I believe the showrunners have told us flat out that the planet below is not Earth. Not the Earth. Not the Earth. One of the things that occurred to me, which I'm trying to figure out how they're going to reconcile this, is remember the virus that they found on, the, on that beacon? Mm-hmm. If that was left from the 13th tribe, who were Cylons, how'd that not kill all of them? Because the final five are different from the other seven. Yeah, but the final five were not all the inhabitants of that planet. If they had a war with their own Cylon creations, they probably set that virus up to kill them, but not themselves. I thought the virus was something that came from COBOL, because that's why the humans had adapted a resistance to it over thousands of years. Well, did they prove that it was from the 13th colony, or is it just an assumption? I think the whole virus thing was just... Perhaps something that the writers wish that maybe they had never let out of the bottle. Yeah. It's supposed to be, at this point, a standalone plot point that doesn't apply anywhere. Yeah. Got it. Last episode, we mentioned a Dirk Benedict rant that was on a blog, and we got some feedback about that. This one's from Roderick. He writes, This disjointed, incoherent string of cliches in the gender wars was really dated. Past due date, 1987. Having a woman as a political leader or having women in combat roles isn't Hollywood liberalism. It's political reality. None of the male characters on BSG from 2004 have been castrated because Trisha can use her fists. You have to be damn insecure about your gender and your sexuality to feel threatened by gender roles on BSG. He goes on to write, Although women and feminism bear the brunt of Benedict's criticism, tiresomely so, it is really the political messaging from the scriptwriters that he's really mad at. He wants mindless, apolitical pablum for television. BSG 2004 won a Peabody for seriously addressing contemporary issues of our time, and Benedict has the nerve to rant about the show's amorality. My God, this is probably the most morality-laden television show ever. Terrorism, racism, ethnic cleansing, class conflict, bioengineering to name just a few moral issues raised in the series. It's one of the few shows to address religion critically, including seriously looking at losing one's religion, as Rosalind's character has recently done. Also got an email from Bill, who's been a participant on our podcast before. He writes that he loved the original BSG in the 70s when he was a kid, all of it, including the synthesized voices, the hammy acting, and he has nothing bad to say about it. But hearing Benedict moan about the direction the new show has taken is as pathetic as hearing Adam West complain that he didn't get a role as Batman in 1989. Richard Hatch had a little of the same thing going on back in the beginning, but he got past it and got involved. And now look, he and the show are both better because of it. I wonder if Dirk Benedict wanted a part two. Exactly. Though my comparison was, it was Cesar Romero complaining that he didn't get the role of the Joker in the movie that was the one I thought of back in the late 80s. They both complained? I don't know if Adam West did or not, but I know that Cesar Romero claimed that he was the Joker. I do agree with the guy, too, though. Don't ever blaspheme the original BSG. I mean, it's so bad, it's good. But, yeah, I, I think Dirk's trying to stay relevant when he doesn't really need to be. I just think it's hilarious that the term he refers to Starbuck to is Stardo throughout most of the post. And as evidenced from this last episode, if Starbuck from the original series were to meet Starbuck from this series somewhere, she would kick his ass 10 ways from Sunday. Well, <laughs> he would, he would just... try to seduce her. <laughs> and she'd be like, <laughs> kiss, kiss my ass. And then, yeah. But yes. Bill continues in the email talking about the last episode, the direction which I thought was kind of off. He didn't care for the direction too much either. He says, 
But when I looked at it in light of the oath, I liked it better. In fact, I think Jason hit the nail right on the head when he said, if the episode had ended with a to be continued, it would have seemed appropriate. You know what? I was pretty down on the last episode. This one makes the other one better to me, but I still think they really could have fixed a lot of things in the last episode with just a few changes. Number one, I wish they'd played up the fact that it was more of a military coup happening besides this government thing that was in there. There's a little bit of scenes of Gata talking to other people, but it just didn't feel at the time like that was the angle they were going with. It didn't feel like it was something from within that was going to tear the ship apart. Okay, I didn't say this, but that was the only thing I thought. When he sat there and had his big tete-a-tete with Starbuck, and then he looked at everyone else and said, close the door, that was my first thought was, Oh, he's going to try to start some stuff. No, I got that. I just feel like they didn't play that up enough. They had that one scene. To me, if they had removed 10 seconds of Adama brushing his teeth and replaced it with Gata talking more with other personnel, and here's how it would have really improved the last episode for me. Last scene, have Gata walk up to the Marine barracks. They look at him skeptically because, you know, he's like this dude from the CIC staff. But he walks in, the hatch closes, and the lock spins. Done. Then you've got something really ominous coming up. You're like, whoa, he's going for the heavy hitters now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would have really foretold something big happening. The guys in the black suits are talking to the guy who wants to take things down. Bill has another comment about Gaeta. He writes, I'm not sure what to make of him now. Villain, idealistic, tragic hero is going to have to watch his noble, at least in his own eyes, plan disintegrate into chaos and murder. Ambitious schemer, a la Macbeth. I was glad to hear you guys talk about the depiction of the gay characters. I hate to say it, but in this episode, it looks like Ron Moore is firing a shot right across the bow of anyone who objected to the only open gay character being a psychotic murderer. So, you don't like Kane? Okay, take this mutinous, sweaty, crippled guy limping his way around the ship, openly scornful of his superior officers and his former friends. Did he forget that Tyrrell was the one who saved him from Zarek's circle? Not to keep drawing Shakespearean parallels, but maybe he's more Richard III than Macbeth. And he continues, that's especially a problem because the webisodes are basically an afterthought, unlike the previous two series, which led you into the season. This one was shoehorned in at the last minute, and it shows. It really added nothing except the fact that Gaeta and Hoshi were in a relationship, which so far is irrelevant this season, and that Baltar claims to have let Gaeta pass along information to the Resistance. This, again, is another reason why I was really confused with the last episode. I was trying to place in the timeline when this actually happened. I can now confirm that the webisodes are just a huge botch. <laughs> and it's all because of one line at the end of the last one where Ty says Cylon technology is keeping this fleet running. Then Gata says he wants to have a meeting and Ty says, you can go see Adama. Mr. Tyrrell has an idea about something. You can talk to him then. So that is why Gata was in that meeting in the first place. Now that makes sense. But if Tyrrell had an idea to present, the idea was the FTL drives. And so Ty's statement about Sun Technology is running this fleet was premature and completely out of sequence with what was supposed to happen. And that is what made me completely confused about what was going on. I wish I'd never even seen them because it totally threw me off with the last episode. The only basic thing the web episodes are not telling me is that we've gone from the first post-Earth episode where D killed herself. We've now jumped ahead what has to be at least three weeks. Because all this has to happen post-webisode. Mm-hmm. To me, that leaves a lot of gap in what happened, you know. This time jump should have been acknowledged in the show at some point. And by the way, it's not just the Gata Hoshi thing so far is irrelevant. It's done. It means nothing now. The only way it becomes relevant again is if somehow they end the series with the mutineers having won and Gata's in charge. 
Right. Yeah, but even then, Hoshi's very like. If you look at Hoshi, he's like totally shocked that Gata would do something like this. Right. So the relationship is done. Right. Right. The only options for Gata are death or jail. Well, that pretty much is going to end the relationship either way. On the subject of Gata, we got an email from Jesse. He writes about Gata being gay and being a traitor. He lists all the things that Gata has had to endure over the many seasons, and there's a long laundry list. Uh, obviously, many things he had to deal with, his leg and seeing his Baltar turn out to be uh, someone he had false hopes about. And he doesn't agree with his decisions, but he understands them. Now, I'm not disputing any of the stuff that happened to Gata. By itself, I understand Gata's turn to what he's doing. So I don't really have a problem with what the character is doing. I just don't understand why they had to, at the last second, throw in that he's gay. Thereby, again, making the only two openly gay characters, not counting Hoshi, people that were directly responsible for the deaths of dozens of innocent humans. Right. Well, of course, if you look at Gata's just stellar track of choosing people, too. I mean, you might say he chose Baltar and that didn't work out. He chose Zarek. So now he's chosen the mutiny thing. And not so much that he chose everyone on the mutiny, but they certainly went very, very far in this episode to make us really notice all the bad people that had joined the mutiny. The guy from Pegasus, you know. It's like every character you've ever hated is with Gata now. <laughs> I mean, no matter how small. No matter yeah, how but Racetrack is in there, too. And that goes to my other point. Racetrack and Celix were like the two minor human females we were still associated with. Well, now they're both on the mutiny side, so now they're both unredeemable. Again, outside of Rosalind, obviously not having kids. Starbuck, not even sure what she is. There's no one we know in the human female part of the colony, fleet, whatever it is, that you care if they live now. I mean, so <laughs> to me, it's kind of telegraphing where, where how things are going to end. It has to be with the Cylon females surviving, because... Well, that's a load of BS. Why? Well, they can't just, like, get rid of all the human females. Just they already so have. Well, that's just no, no, no. I don't mean get rid of them all. I'm saying that there's no known female characters. Right. They're like, ooh, I'm really glad she's alive but to that's make sure just, everything's okay. That's just stupid. If, like, all the major male characters, they, are, they end up with a Cylon female. Well, I'm not saying it's going to happen. That'll be another one of those things if that happens. I'll be like, what the... And I'll never watch the show again. I don't don't want to project. I mean, there's obviously flaws in my... You know, it's a a 40,000-foot theory. But all the male characters we like have already shown that they are good with the Cylons. You know, I'm coming back to this theory of... As a woman, I really should not be watching this show. Uh, (laughs) At what point do we expand this to say, as a woman, why do you even like sci-fi? Oh, yeah, it's that's true. Okay, this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. Is the entire sci-fi industry driven by men that don't know how to deal with women? So, wait a minute. Are you saying Battlestar is misogynistic? Perhaps. A show that has Starbuck being the kick-ass pilot, a president who is female and has led the fleet. But they're killing off all the females. Cylons, Deanna, I know, they're leading the fleet. <laughs> I mean, it's true they're killing off all the characters, but you can't say they haven't given empowerment right. to all the female characters. It's- no, okay. Maybe There's I'm a little hero. upset with the way that it's going now. Yeah. Right. That is what Jason's saying, basically. Yeah. The hero women, the heroic women, the protagonist women, seem to be dropping off like flies, or they've turned to the dark side. Right. So, yes, that is a right. valid criticism. I mean, and I certainly cannot compare BSG to, like, heroes, on the other hand, where heroes, like, consistently makes its women weak. BSG is nowhere near that. Okay, we had a post on our website from Lisa, who writes that... 
She thought the Nikki feint was a nice sidestep, allowing them to keep the emotional history, including the fact that Tyrrell wasn't 100% in love with Callie. I can see that, but to me, Callie was always had this crush on Tyrrell. Always. Yeah. So her screwing around with Hot Dog was not something that didn't jibe with Tyrrell's character. It didn't jibe with her character. Yeah, but maybe if she felt that she was never going to have a chance with Tyrrell. Well, right but before wait, they were getting wait. married? What? what do you mean? They were getting married. Wait, did they say that she fooled around with him when they were getting married? How else? Or was have, it before? How else would he have thought it was his baby? Maybe he just didn't realize the timing was a little off. <laughs> I'm of the opinion just, that men don't pay attention to that. Oh, I think they do. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, you know, I don't know when my three wives. Can, ever, you know, I never kept track of that. Can I start another screaming episode? <laughs> I don't know. But I still say it, and I said this to Brian just as a aside. Like explain Nikki away with the whole hot dog Callie thing. I think now they're setting up hot dog to die. Poor hot dog. Because he's now the father, but then like the last scene of the uh, thing when he's on the cap. Yeah. And it was like, give me the cap. Who's there? Hot dog. And the next character is like, patch me into this guy. I'm like, oh, hot dog's not in on it. He's so going to die. Because he's going to question what they're doing. I think, I mean, the only reason they did the whole Nikki thing was just to explain... They didn't want to have to deal with two hybrid kids. Right. They didn't want to have to deal with two hybrid kids, and they want, didn't want to have to explain how a human in a Final Five had a kid together. That's why. Or maybe if they'd have kept it, they could have come back to the whole thing about, you know what? There's really, if you get down to it, no difference between human seven and five. Continuing on that post from Lisa, she writes, Do you really think the Baltar has always been 100% weasel? I think he truly began to believe in God and to stretch towards being a better person. His rant seems like a real howl towards God, plus he's sort of shell-shocked. I mean, he's always going to be Baltar, but it's lovely to see all the characters grow, but in the context of their individual characters. This kind of goes with something I was saying last time, where I wasn't too sure about the Zarek turn. I don't know if some of these flip-floppy characterizations work as well. I always thought that Baltar's epiphany and his turn towards that religion was genuine. And I can see him always looking out for number one, him being the number one. But if, as Rosalind hinted at, it's, it was all a sham, then I'll be kind of disappointed because that would be too much of a just a U-turn. And I hate the U-turns with characterizations, Lee being the biggest one that they've done a million times. But uh, what, what do you think? Okay. A, just to go to your last comment, that was actually acknowledged in the show. I'm sorry, Captain Adama. What's your job today? Or which oh, yeah. side are you the on The last today? two episodes, Zarek has had two great lines about Lee. And Lee, I, I love yeah. that he's basically said stuff that I've... Saying or we've well, all been thinking, right? What the fans have been thinking. Right. No, I still think it's total weasel because I think he's he hasn't been portrayed as religious figure like Billy Graham conversion. He's been portrayed as religious figure like Jim Jones, David Koresh. Agreed. It's more about him than it is Agreed. about that. I totally think it's just a hmm. I can use this to save my ass again. Agreed. And have sex. Completely agree on that. That's how I feel. He just, he doesn't care about anybody else. He just cares about himself. Yeah, he's got this flock and he's making them think that he really cares about their well-being. But in reality, who was the only one that left? Him. Nobody from his flock left. It was just him. And then he goes and makes this personal phone call to Gaeta thinking that him himself as Baltar will be the one to resolve everything. And then he can be king of everyone. It's him. He's just, he's, he's, yeah. He's Weasel. (laughs) I agree. And he's a great actor. He's pulling it off fantastic. Oh, yeah. But I agree he's Weasel. I just think he actually did have, it was genuine for me. Nope. I believe when uh, he was, that had that boy in his hands and he was praying to God to fix him, that he wasn't just doing it to uh, 
what's the line? A faith of convenience is a hollow faith. And I think it's from a movie or something. I forget what it is, but that's just how that comes across to me. See, it's the worst kind. Maybe he did believe for a while, but the minute things got bad, instead of relying even more on God, he abandoned him. And that's what people who don't believe. I think maybe, yes, he did truly believe it. Yes, he did have that epiphany. And maybe he does really believe in God, but only so he can gain personally. It has nothing to do with anybody else but himself. Speaking of other characters, Zarek, we got an email from Chris who thinks that Adama's file on Zarek was a sham. He writes, Adama says, you should read the file, some juicy stuff in there. It would make a great story for the press. The word juicy makes it sound like it's all made up. Adama knows it's all lies, but it's just a great story the press will just eat up. I also thought that Adama knew that Zarek was crooked, but it, they just didn't have the resources or the, you know, they hadn't done an investigation about having all this stuff. So in his mind, he was like, I will bluff that I have this material. I don't have the material. Yeah, that's exactly what that scene was about. He, even if he didn't know, he was just he was just going on the idea that as a leader, he's done whatever it takes to survive in this time. So he's done things that, if they got out, would damage his image. And he bluffed that he had it. And then he showed here, tight And then Ty said, "Laundry list." I mean, he was counting on Zarek not actually opening the file. And just having the weight of the world go, oh, crap. Yeah, but see, this guy seems to think that Adama was completely making a gesture as it's not at all real. I'm going to fabricate something for the press, and it's going to make you look bad. Oh, no, I just thought he was playing, I'm smarter than you, and I can out-bluff you. Hmm. I agree. That's the way I took it. Although, again, if you look at the scene, there's a line that Zarek has that made me wonder. It could go either way, and it's interesting. I'd like to actually get an answer on this one someday. From someone, hopefully we'll get one. And that actually brings up our voicemail we got from Dustin. Hey guys, this is Dustin again. Well, I just finished watching the episode The Oath, and I had a few things to say. I think Brian's assessment of Zarek in the previous podcast and what it did, um, what the last episode did with his character was a little off the mark. To me, Zarek has proven himself to be more of a danger to the human race than any other human. His first appearance impeded the acquisition of a new water supply for the sake of having elections. Another gem from that same episode was his vehement defense of the convict who tried to rape Kelly. He dangled the carrot of New Caprica along with Baltar, or at the very least offered no objections to this, as he said Rosalind and Adama did with Earth in the last episode, the difference being that he knew that New Caprica was a crappy planet. He endangered the fleet by sending away the Tillium ship, and now he has instigated a coup that removes all the experienced military officers from power. Witness the hapless mutineer who could not operate Gata Station, the intent of the coup being to make half the Cylons that have allied with the humans their enemies again, seeming to forget the still-looming threat of Cavill's fleet. People forget that he is, above all else, a murderer. Blowing up a building shows a lack of concern for collateral damage, even if the victims are people he claims to want to help. He may call himself a freedom fighter, but don't forget how many dictators historically have started as freedom fighters. As for the mutineers... I just spoke of the short-sightedness of the coup, but this goes in line with my belief that most people are incapable of, of rational thinking in situations like, in desperate situations like this. You know, the near annihilation of the human race, I think, would count. Which, to me, you know, we're confirmed by you know political events that have aided both sides here in the U.S. in the past few years. As for who was taking part, I think the selection of the rebels works because the likes of Racetrack and Felix haven't been given enough development in the series to discount this. Even Racetrack, who has flown with Athena, can feasibly draw a line in the sand with the extent of the alliance. 
I imagine there might be some discussion both for and against who took part, but along with my previous statements, I think long-term, I even think I, I saw Kelly out of the brig for a moment, is more effective. That's all I have to say for now. I don't think anyone was out of character. Racetrack is always good at finding things. Now she can find a way out on the airlock for herself and her fellow traders for the crime of criminal stupidity and short-sightedness. Thank you. As I said, the show made a great effort to show you that the cast of characters that had glommed on to the mutiny. And I think the mutiny is probably a mix of people that really don't want the Cylon thing and people that just want revenge for real or perceived wrongs. The problem is when a mutiny is made up of that, it eventually eats itself. I could totally see a scene where the Pegasus guy, like, turns on one of the real mutineers because they're not doing exactly. They're not doing his revenge fantasy. They're doing a, I don't really give a crap about saving this thing. I just want revenge. I mean, the whole flaw of the mutiny is you're weakening the fleet to get it to be what you want to be. Oh, by the way, there's still Cylons out there that want to kill you. So you're weakening the fleet so that you can then die easier at the Cylons who still hate you. Okay, get that. All right, we've already kind of discussed this episode a little bit, but here now is the recap for the episode, The Oath. Ty shows up in Adama's quarters for the morning report to find a guest already there. Sauntering about in her robe, Rosalind has that special glow, and not from radiation treatments, but dark deeds are afoot as Gaeta takes the first steps toward a coup. He slips Zarek out of jail and over to the hangar bay. Chief Laird questions what's going on. Gaeta hesitates, but Zarek picks up a workman's wrench and turns the tool into a weapon on Laird's skull. He won't be the last, Zarek promises Gaeta. Lee is baffled to see Zarek return to Colonial One. In fact, he's befuddled about a lot of things. Zarek's words have an air of truth, but Lee wants to talk to his father firsthand, so he departs for Galactica. Celix is talking to Anders about old times, but he's too preoccupied to recognize that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and he's attacked and abducted. A fire is reported on Sea Deck. Gaeta offers just enough helpful observations to prompt Adama to order a Marine squad to accompany the damage control team to the area, which happens to be near a weapons storage locker. Starbuck smells something, but it isn't smoke. She spies the Marine squad arming up, then loads up herself, grabbing every clip she can. Lee arrives on Galactica and is immediately slugged and put at gunpoint. Dun-dun-dun! In a world gone mad, humanity needs a hero. Even a dead one. Take it from someone who died once. It's no fun. Starbuck is back, and she's one badass Adama Fracker. Let him go. Frack you. Don't mess with a dead chick. I could do this all day. Who's next? Because when you're already dead, you have nothing to lose. Follow me. Please. Coming to a mutiny near you. Starbucks saves Lee's ass, but he doesn't have time to change into his butt-kicking uniform, so he's rocking it in his suit, 007 style. (laughs) Questions flow into the CIC, but with Gaeta as the gatekeeper, all communications end with him. The anomalies stack up, each one playing further into Gaeta's plan. Finally, too late, Adama learns that the whole course of events has been a ruse, directed by Gaeta's hand to gain control of the ship. Marines take control of the CIC, but not before bullets fly and Private Jaffe takes some lead. Gaeta orders Adama taken to the brig, where the mutineers have also rounded up Anders, Athena, Hera, and Hilo. Amid the mayhem and incessant gunfire and spent casings littering the floor are Baltar's followers, clinging to their guns and religion. Baltar is ready to fly from the cuckoo's nest, but Rosalind shows up to address the fleet using Baltar's pirate radio signal. On the way to the brig, Adama demonstrates some passive aggressiveness, physically, killing one of the marines and taking the other prisoner. After meeting up with Starbuck and Lee, Adama lets the prisoner go, and Sergeant Newart makes off to surely play a pivotal role in a future episode. Tyrell arranges an escape from a secondary storage airlock, and a friendly raptor arrives to take Rosalind and Baltar away to relative safety. But they are spotted on the Dreadus in CIC, and Gaeta orders his man, Flying Cap, to engage them. 
Adama and Ty prepare to make their last stand. As Ty aims his weapon with his one good eye, Adama tells him it was an honor serving with him. Marines cut through the door and toss in a flash grenade. Fire in the hole! To be continued. Alright, so... Let's see, I really hate Gata. For the past, what is it, four years? Four seasons? I have been pro-Gata. I've liked Gata's character. I like where they took him. I was really hoping he was one of the final five. Now I really hope someone just shoots him right between the eyes. This, see, this is a pattern with you. You didn't like... You didn't, <laughs> oh, my! <laughs> you didn't care about Tori. Tori comes up and does this terrible thing. And I want Tori dead. For how many podcasts do we have? <laughs> kill Tori! Kill Tori! Kill Tori! Kill Tori! <laughs> and now, kill Gata! Kill Gata! It is a heel turn worthy of professional wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it is fantastic. Because, yes, Gata was the secondary character that I think a lot of people just kind of cheered for. He was a good guy. He seemed to be well-written and, like, would do the occasional, like, ass-saving that you're like, oh, very cool, very cool. And then he just, I mean, yes, it's all built up about why and his own bad choices. But I was actually very frustrated at the first 30 minutes of this because I'm like, it's not possible that this many people are this stupid that one person, that they haven't figured this out yet. But I'm like, you know, they've actually shown us that Gata is damn good. Mm. I could see him engineering all this. Now, his flaw will be, depending on how it plays out, if this mutiny succeeds, Gata doesn't have an end game. He doesn't know what the hell to do once he's in charge. I think that's going to be a major problem. Now, admittedly, I see, like, even though what Gata's doing really kind of irritates me because I am very pro-Cylon, the good Cylons, but (laughs) I see where Gata's coming from. You know, if I was in that situation... I might have gone along with him as well, you know, if I wasn't on the Hilo side where I was, you know, in love with the Cylon. But (laughs) I see where he's coming from. So I can't fault him too much. But you still hate him, want him to die. Well, I think that's where it's going to go, though. I I fault him for the fact that he still thinks that everything he does is for the good of humanity, but he's lost sight of the end doesn't always justify the means. Very Kane-esque. Yeah. That's what he... Yes, very Kane-esque. Very good. No, but he's doing it in the wrong way. He's weakening both his own standing and the fleet as a whole. Because at this point, once you start a mutiny, no matter which side wins, the fleet is forever divided. Cavill still has base stars out there. Well, and you just got rid of like most of your good pilots. Yeah, you've you've turned. <laughs> up, you, yeah, how many times has Starbucks saved ass, and now you've basically just put your best pilot on the sidelines? Lee's a good pilot. It just Who do you have? You have you have hot dog. I mean, <laughs> no, no, no. Hot dog's not in on this though. It's just not well thought out. I would say that the backstory in my mind is that Gata brought it up and Zarek like pushed it to go faster. Right. Gata was ready to move. I think Gata got in over his head. Yeah, especially the cliffhanger again shows the lack of planning. If you shoot down the Raptor, gee, I wonder if the base star might start going a little badass because it won't care anymore. Haven't we already gone through this where we already know that the Cylon side of the Alliance also has people that are like, we don't trust these people. So you're playing into their hands and they've got a base star full of nukes in the middle of a fleet of, you know, if he orders the cap to shoot, he's basically saying, I don't care if 30 ships go down and there's 10,000 humans left. Yeah. Well, we were at the prop auction a couple weeks ago. They had the CIC table there on display as one of the items that was up for bidding. The way they had it displayed, you could see one side of it from behind this rope. But if you got to the other side of the rope, you could see on the other side, not viewable by the general public, was 
bullet holes. And there were other items that they were selling from that same general area, CIC equipment that were just speckled with red fake blood. I took a bunch of pictures of those and I'll post them along on our website. So I had an idea that something bad was going to go down in the CIC. I didn't think it was going to be this soon. Comparing the pictures you took to the scene we saw, I took it more in my mind as there's more badassery that will go down in the CIC. Well, I'm sure there will be. It can't be really a spoiler. I think everybody thinks that. Also, something from Dragon Con that we mentioned a long time ago, when they had the panels, they brought up a guy who plays Sergeant Newart and... Aaron Douglas was saying, this guy, you haven't seen him a lot before, but he's going to be up in the upcoming season. And everyone's like, who's this dude? And so finally he shows up. And I guess the question becomes, what happens? Does it follow the Saving Private Ryan thing where he goes and comes back and in the end kills, haunts, somebody. kills someone important like Adama or whoever? Or does he go the other way and ends up putting a, a big wrench in Gata's plans? I would actually lean just maybe not either. I would go somewhere in the middle. He obviously was not the ringleader of the Marines. He was kind of one that was swayed pretty easily just by what was happening in the room at the time. I think he might be more of a sacrifice himself at a moment kind of thing. The one thing about the jail scene that I liked was when Sam finally admitted that he didn't know what the hell the Final Five was about. And I'm glad that was acknowledged in the show. It makes me think that, okay, so there really is a plan. It just hasn't come out yet. They're not being completely ignored. Did we have to hit Hilo in the head? Yes, because he's a badass who would have taken down like 20 of them. Do you really think that, though? Do you really think he has Hilo ever done that? He's just imposing. Plus, you never, ever challenge a guy who's protecting his wife and child. True. You never challenge them straight up. It's a thing you can't do. The only time we've ever seen Hilo actually make a move to do anything was when he moved towards the president after he shot. He knocked out that red shirt guy on the Demetrius. Remember, he beat that guy down. Oh, but he was a red see, I, th- I think he's got that quiet respect thing. I mean, I love Hilo, and I'd love to see him go total badass. Yeah. Just to clarify what happened at the end of the episode, because I wasn't too sure who was on the Raptor. What happens is Starbuck, Apollo, and Tyrrell remain on Galactica. They go up a chute somewhere to go to another compartment. Adama and Ty barricade themselves behind, and Baltar and Rosalind and the Eight take off from the Raptor to go to oh, that's right. the base that's star. Right. So there's not a final five on the base, on the Raptor, but there is a Cylon. It's a Cylon Raptor at this point. Yeah. Right. So what could happen to resolve the cliffhanger? At least from the Raptor side, is Hot Dog going to realize something is going on and intercept and then die in the process? Or will the Cylons launch a bunch of raiders to intercept and create a screen so they can get back? I don't think the Cylons have that many raiders. Because they of must the previ- have something, Because of the huh? previous battle they had with Cavill. Well, I don't think they've got a lot of raider firepower. I mean, they've probably still got nukes, but not the individual stuff. Because I wonder if Roslyn makes it to the base star, are they going to try to appeal to the Cylons there to ask for help? At some point, someone's going to have to try to take back the Galactica. And I think that's where a bunch of ass-kicking is going to come into play, whether it's with Lee or Hilo or... Uh, so does Roslyn appeal to the Cylons and be like... Um, we could use some metal on our side. And I mean, that would really make the mutineers even more crazy if Silent Centurions show up on their ship. That would just make awesome. them fight to the death. But I think right. that'd be pretty awesome. I, I think the first thing she does is try to get back on a radio and talk more. She never got to the point where she got to say that she could even say now, as far as we know, Admiral Dama has been killed by mutineers on the Galactica. I escaped with my life. Either way, they're going to have to appeal to the Cylons. Because- right now it's a quiet mutiny. Right. I mean, they've established that most of the fleet doesn't know what's going on. Right. 
taking back Galactica is going to take, I think there's going to be such internal strife and the battle's going to be so intense that it's just going to be gutted by fire and explosion. And I oh, think yeah. it's going to be almost rendered dead in space, basically. And I think they might have to, at that point, say, if we want to go anywhere, forget the FTL drive. We need to, like, attach some serious adaptation of either another ship or silent technology or we're just totally screwed. A couple of notes about the episode. Just some random observations. When Starbucks says, Semper Fracken Fi, I've given up about... You don't even bother anymore. Stuff with the language anymore. <laughs> I totally... We could say whatever you want There's no anymore. Need. And I would... Uh, I, I, I accept it. There's only, what, one word that they use that... They use all these words, even words from other languages, and the one that's different... Well, well it's because I can't say fuck on TV. But right. I mean, but it's funny. But the one that's not really a word... Is frack. Yeah. Whereas in the original series, there are all kinds of weird words. Yeah. Felger carb and... Yeah. Cubits and Well, they yarns. do use cubits. Well, they don't say yarns. They say years and they say... Yarns. Notice one little CGI error at the end when the Raptor takes off from the storage airlock. They had two colonial pilots being the pilots of the Raptor as it was flying off. Are you sure about that? Yep. I am sure of it. I went and I checked it. Because right. the only person that was shown was the Pilot 8 coming out when it first docked. They didn't look like Cylons. No, they had... You could tell it was Colonials because you could see their helmets and the, like, the light inside their helmets. It was almost like they took the CGI from when the racetrack and Skulls Raptor landed. And they used that same one. Oh, whatever. Well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I just thought it was... Because it made me wonder. I don't, you know, I don't care if they screwed that up or not. It just made me wonder, are there two Colonial pilots on there? Or is it just the Pilot 8? Because it does, in some way, matter who is on the ship if it's a colonial. You need to know who you can trust. Basically. Oh, here's my question. Why is Tyrrell hanging out with Baltar's people? He had that whole thing where he, um, he put I know, the, he he went, the gun to his head and then he shook his hand afterwards. and So that constituted him now being a part of the... I don't think he's a part of it. I think he just he's like, these people don't hate me. They accept me. Okay. I've wondered about where that was going, whether he's going like, to become a convert. But I think it's just that he feels like he's not being judged there and no one cares. And I guess that's another reason why Hot Dog was not a mutineer, because he was showing up in Baltar's flock, his congregation as well. I'd like to see Hilo be a little more badass. I'd like to see him really step up and, like, protect his family. I mean, look at this last the movie just came out, Taken. That's the whole point. The guy, his daughter is taken, and he goes on this huge, yeah, vengeful, seriously. vengeful rampage to get her back. Don't mess with Liam Neeson. Holy right. crap. So it's like... <laughs> That is just an archetypal storyline that is used all the time. So I just me, hope they do that with him. I can see him doing that. It makes me wonder, though, how that's going to play in with the thing with Athena, which you and I know is coming. We mentioned at the beginning we don't have any spoilers in the podcast, but here is a potential spoiler. If you listen to our previous podcast where we interviewed Tom Opanica, he mentioned something that was coming up in the season with a scene with him and Grace Park. Where he just, and okay, spoiler time. If you don't want to listen, zip to pay it a couple seconds. Where he and Athena have some issues. That there was going to be a little bit of strife between them. At least you wonder how that's going to play out. I think it'll just play out because I'm sure at some point there's going to be more separation between the Cylons and the humans. She might become more loyal to... The Cylons. Well, she's going to probably be like, the humans have kind of been distrustful of me before, but this goes beyond the line of being distrustful. They want to fucking kill me. Right. So, and her daughter. Yeah. And her daughter. So why hang around here? Why, I'm going to go to my people, right. and at least they will take care of me. Why, right. It's not safe here for me and her. And are you going to come with me or not? And Whereas I can, I can see Hilo saying, 
as the mutiny dies down, he'll stick around to bring the fleet back up, become the XO again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's be interesting. I, now I can see how that's how that might play out. Yeah. Before I get to final grades, I want to do a plug for Tim Dodge. He's doing a podcast novel. It's called Acts of Desperation, and here is the promo. He thought he would be the hero who solved the family crisis. He expected to take a simple trip to recover some old debts. He believed he would collect his money without any trouble. He was very mistaken. By the time Ray Davis realizes what he's gotten himself into, money is no longer important to him. Living to see another sunrise is... Acts of Desperation is the debut podcast novel from Tim Dodge. Subscribe today at www.timdodgestories.com. Keep your enemies close and your friends closer. So again, if you have any podcasts or podcast novels or websites you'd like to promote, just let us know. We'd be happy to do an exchange with you. All right, let's get to our grades for the episode. The first half hour, I was very like, oh, God, I hate this episode. But then the minute they kicked in with badass Starbuck and everything, it actually all tied together. I got to give this one an A. It was a really good standalone episode. It filled in a lot of loops on the previous C episode. So, yeah, this one, I'd actually bump last week's up to a B and bring this one to an A. I think they started off with three really good ones. Not three good episodes, but a good three-hour start to the end here. I'm going to give it a B. Only because I, well, I mean, I liked it, but I wasn't like, like Jason likes it for more technical aspects, whereas I judge things on entertainment value. So what was your failings with it? I'm just curious. Because usually, Um, because my grade's higher than yours, so I'm just curious. Because usually it's a reciprocal of that. But (laughs) what what was, the to me, the failings of it? I think my failings are like the position that Adama and Ty got put into. At the end or during the beginning when they were being led around and manipulated? No, I think at the beginning that was actually pretty good. I mean, I think Gaeta set that up really well. I think in the end, when they stood back to defend the raptor, it was just kind of like, what the hell? (laughs) Oh, I like that. The captain goes down with the ship. I think he was not going to run. No, and I agree with that. That's fine. It was just Starbuck could have stayed back. <laughs> well, that's what I understand. There's a few things about that ending, which was curious to me. Like, why did Starbuck, Lee, and Tyrrell scatter out of there fast? Why don't they stay in an ambush position if the Marines come? Yeah, I think they could they... have held it if the rest of them had stayed. Yeah, so I don't understand that. But I, I was fine with it because I feel like they're setting up for the next episode where there's going to be an attempt to take back the ship and they had to have all their players in place. And if Adama's over there and Ty's over there, I like the beat where Adama kisses Rosalind and everyone's kind of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> and I loved the framing of the shot when the hatch is closing on the, yeah, on that was the, on the Raptor. It reminded me a lot of the Empire Strikes Back when Han's going down on the carbonite thing and the, no. You see, like, the smoke and whatnot covering up Leah. Uh, kind of similar framing or whatever, but I, I like that a lot. For me, I just thought it was top-notch, great tension throughout the episode. You feared for the characters that you like, like Anders, Hilo, and Athena, while at the same time, you were just cheering for Starbuck. I didn't fear for Anders. Did anybody else fear for Anders? You, know, you don't care about Anders, or you just didn't care? or You, didn't you know, the funny thing is, is, like, the past few episodes, Anders and well, Tori wasn't even in the past two, right. but... 
Anders has just been kind of this, like, side note. Like, he's kind of an insignificant Final Five. That's kind of bothering me. They made such a big deal out of these characters being Final Five, but yet you're not even showing really Anders at all. You're only showing him being thrown into the brig. And what's the big deal with Anders if he's just so insignificant? Whereas Ty, I mean, he's a big deal because of his position. Well, maybe that's why they have him on captured now. So he's obviously going to be in scenes coming up. Right. Something's going to happen. I mean, and Tori's been insignificant, but she should have a bigger role because she embraced it so much sooner. Well, they're avoiding the Cylon side for a reason right now. They want to focus entirely on this whole division within the human side. So it wouldn't behoove them to spend a lot of story time over in the base star with her doing whatever she's doing. I mean, I can't say it was a bad episode. I mean, I don't think that at all. I'd say it's an A-. minus. The only thing that would really keep it from getting to an even higher level for me is I like to have like the first episode of the season, the D dies episode. I mean, that hits you on such an emotional level. Right. This was pure adrenaline throughout and tension and fear of what's going to happen and anxiety about what's going to happen. And it didn't really have some sort of emotional payoff. Well, here's my other two things. I think Hilo went down too easily. (laughs) Um, That kind of pissed me off because they didn't even make any indication that he was trying to defend his family. He just kind of went down. And I thought that was just dumb on every part. I also really hate shows that end in to be continued. (laughs) They frustrate me so much. (laughs) The entire last season, every episode is going to be that way. I know. It's going to be. But you know how much that pisses me off when like that black screen comes up and says to be continued. I'm like, God damn it. Well, it could say anything. It could say, go get yourself a cup of milk. (laughs) It doesn't matter because it's still going to end on a note that's going to have you come back the next week. I know. The one thing I would have done maybe to improve on the episode, they didn't have time to do it, but the runner that went to check out the fire and come back, and it was just this red shirt guy who got killed, maybe something that would have elevated it in terms of emotional impact would have been if Adama had said, Hoshi, go check it out. Yeah. And Hoshi goes to run, and instead of him just running and coming back, you actually show him some of what he does. He runs down there. He has some kind of encounter with someone down there or have something meaningful happen where he he saves somebody or or something tells him something and he's like oh shit what's going on and then he comes back and he makes it all the way back to the cic only to die and then it's like whoa and i think that would have put a nice conflict for gata right so if only we were writing this show brian <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i i enjoyed this one i thought it was definitely better than the previous one and I'm looking forward to seeing where they're going. And again, for me, not liking the whole internal civil war thing, this made it palatable to me. The fact that it was the military maybe being guided by Zarek and his desire to control everything, but just having it fester from inside. Mm-hmm. Like Jason said, how much it's going to maintain itself because these guys are going to realize pretty soon that we did this and now what the hell are we going to do? Then they'll, they'll have to resolve that, believably, to me. But you know what? I knew that there was something like this coming. But I am glad they got it out of the way now, because if it was later, I think I would have been dreading it more, just knowing that it was on the horizon. For them to get it out now with seven, eight episodes left to go, I'm like, okay, I'm almost back to that place where I was at the beginning of this season five. They can go anywhere. They just had the big internal fight. What are they going to do to resolve it? How are they going to dig out of this hole? Because it's a big one. Right. I wonder, too, if... When Ron Moore said that he had a new idea about how the show was to end while he was on the picket line, he had a different direction that occurred to him that he wanted to take it. And I wonder what that might have been. And maybe he'll talk about it in a podcast somewhere down the line. But I'm curious because 
I almost wonder if maybe this whole human civil war was meant to come later. And that would have been like the thing that just tore them all apart. But they moved it up so they could do something else. Or was it always planned to be this way? I'm really curious to see what happens. All right. I just want to mention that Heroes is back. Which you probably didn't watch, did you? I watched the first couple minutes because it happened to be on after I watched last night's office on my TiVo. Uh-huh. And uh, Ando has some sort of <laughs> bike or something. What is he, like the Iron Man of bicycles now? I, I didn't know what that was going on. I saw the Nikki character again who she acted like a kind of scheming Jessica character, but then she still had the cold power. Everyone gets ambushed and attacked by... Uh, some squad of black garbed troopers and uh, the guy who's in charge is like this guy who's always the the guy. The bad guy. The bad yeah. guy. He's in so many shows. And I was like, okay, they took her, they took him. Oh, and and um, what's the, the cop now has cognitive future seeing power. <laughs> so. You watched more than a couple minutes. Really? I feel like it was just like the first act break, maybe. I don't know. Well, either way, since Brian and Jason aren't really watching it anymore, so we probably won't be talking about it. I'm still watching it because I actually still find it kind of entertaining. If you guys really want to get your Heroes fix, you want to listen to a good Heroes podcast, just go over and find the ninth Heroes cast. They're a lot of fun, and they do a good job. If you need your Heroes fix, we'll post a link to it. I think that wraps up this episode. Can't wait for the next one. Keep those emails, voicemails, and posts on the website coming. We really appreciate it, and we think it really makes for a better show. Our website is galacticacorum.com, and our email is gcorum at gmail.com, and our voicemail is 301-358-5175. The jump clock is running. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Don't be shocked if I, like, up and leave. <laughs> what can I do to expedite this process? I don't know. Why would you get up and leave? I'm slightly nauseous today. Oh, okay. Oh, I got a clue. Sweet! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>